How's everyone doing? This is Afonso Bergen, just reminding you guys, um, you're listening to The Talking Pop here on Podbean. Podbean is basically the app that you can get your podcast on the go, and it actually gives you the tools to create a podcast. So try it out. It's podbean.com. You can find our podcast on there. It's podbean.com slash talking pop. So here we go. Let's get the show started. How you guys doing? This is Dan in September. Um, how you guys doing? Um, this is the franchise. Of course, um, welcome to the, another episode of the Talking Pop. It's the podcast that focuses on all things pop culture. Normally, I'm joined by my brother Biko, but fortunately, he's not here today. He's got important like wedding things to do because he's a groomsman for my cousin's wedding, which is happening this weekend. So, at the time of this recording, yes, um, I will be joining my second cousin for his wedding. It'll be interesting to see everybody again. Like, like I said, this is the end of September. Of course, um. Last night, I'm going to go see My Hero Academia 2 Heroes. It was premiered in the U.S. for this week. Of course, the movie premiered in Japan in July. But overall, I love the movie. Um, I will talk about full and death in the next episode of Talking Pop. So today, I am joined on the couch at HQ here in the Chicagoland suburbia of Aurora. I'm joined by my roommate and friend, Armando. Hello, everyone. So... Put it off, this is going to be an interview-based podcast. Of course, you know, if you listen to previous episodes in the past, we do reviews, discussions, and, you know, basically stuff that we come across, like pop culture news. So today is going to be all about interviewing, getting to know Armando, what, you know, pop culture stuff, like, influenced him growing up, and pretty much get to know some people. So that's another thing I'm adding to the podcast will be a lot of interviews. So I'll probably do one eventually future on with Biko and some other friends that we know. Probably try to get him onto the podcast. And who knows, maybe I'll get interviewed in a future episode. So for today, it's about Armando. So like I said, welcome to Bora Armando. Good to um, be here. Like I said, um, growing, up, what were you, growing up, what kind of pop culture influences, influences that you had? Um, well, let's see here. I'm a bit older than the other guys. So I started out my pop culture education a little bit earlier. Uh, I was really growing up in the 80s, so I had, uh, like, cartoon-wise, I had stuff like the original Transformers series, the original G.I. Joe series. Uh, You know, the other day you mentioned Dungeons & Dragons in a completely different context, but, like, I had seen that original Dungeons & Dragons cartoon. uh, What was it? Dragon's Lair you mentioned. Yeah, it was like uh, Dragons there. Like, I know the video, it was a video game, I believe it was a cartoon. It was like, like I said the other day, I was on Verve, and pretty much it shut it there. You can watch the Dragons there cartoon. I'm like, it was only like 10 episodes, and it's like, wow. <laughs> yeah, it was really innovative at the time. That was the first one I remember seeing. Um, it was the first thing I remember seeing that had a choose-your-own-adventure-esque element to it, where the hero, the knight would come up to a plot point and it would I believe they had a narrator who would say well is he going to do this and then it would show generally the disastrous outcome from that action and then a second choice and the disastrous outcome and then the third choice which is usually whatever drove the plot along so it seemed to be that was the first time I remember seeing anything that tried to uh, maybe like reward like viewer engagement Mm-hmm. with it uh similar uh like clue was a huge movie we talked about that the other day a little bit yeah. uh where in the theater they had three different endings hmm. which i never saw but the video cassette because i grew up in vhs times yeah i remember vhs so oh <laughs> yeah and that had all three endings 
at the end of the movie, oh, where、wow. it would show here's what could have happened, and then they'd show a like a ten minute end,、hmm. and then or it could have been this, and it was a different ten minute end. But here's what really happened, which was a third ending, and they all worked perfectly with the movie. They constructed it in such a way that every different ending could have worked. It's weird because you know it's it started as a board game first, right? Before oh yeah, yeah. So it was kind of weird, like what a movie based on a board game. I know we had the the flop, which was Battleship, and apparently supposedly they're supposed to do a movie based on Monopoly, and it was announced a few years back, but happened, but. Wow, like I like I said, growing up, I never heard of Clue being a, a, a movie. I always saw the board game in stores.、Mm-hmm. Mom took me to Toys R Us. Sorry, Toys R Us, it's not long on with us, but、um, <laughs> yeah, I remember like she took me and I saw the Clue, the game Clue. I never actually got to play it, but I used to. There used to be some ones that like some knockoffs. Like I forgot, was it Thirteenth Dead End Drive was one of the games. It's like almost like a Clue knockoff. Yeah, it's like a parody of Clue almost. But the characters you play are pretty much get killed or something, and it's like you try to figure out who did it. So it's like the same concept, but yeah, like I said, now you got Simpsons Clue. I remember one like a few years back, I worked in retail. There was Simpsons Clue, and remember that they had their own version. They had like the characters and their figure in characters and costume for that game. But like I said, never actually saw Clue like the movie per se. But it's a great movie, super fun comedy.、Uh, it still has parts in it which I'll quote in. Uh, in my interior monologue to this day,、um, but that was a great big movie. Obviously, you know I was of the age where Star Wars、uh, had already be, kind of been、uh, been through its run in, in the theaters. I remember seeing Jedi in the theater, but、uh, the other two I think I was too young to see in the theater. But I see them on reruns on TV.、Um, but comic books were probably my biggest comic books and fantasy novels.、Uh, the original GI Joe series,、uh, X Men was. Uh, you know, just beginning to come up in the early '80s, and then you know, exploded in the '90s when the comic book market exploded and was everywhere.、Uh, so, you know, I did a lot of a、uh, lot of Marvel comics back at that time, more than DC.、Um, did a lot of role playing games, mostly the Marvel role playing game because it was super simple,、mm. and there was a DC one as well, which was、uh, a bit more complex. Uh, but yeah, so it was a lot of, a lot of cartoons, a lot of、uh, novels,、um, and then yeah, comic books are probably the the founding element in most of my pop culture,、uh, like education. Okay, so like going to comic books, like what was like for Marvel? You say like Marvel more. What was your favorite like series from Marvel? Well, X Men was probably the biggest one that I had, like the longest run.、Hmm. For Marvel that I had,、um, I had I had a good interest in DC、uh, when I was coming up. I came up at a very fortunate time because DC did something called the Who's Who series,、mm-hmm. which was an、uh, I want to say it was twelve, might have been a little bit more than that, twelve、uh, or more issues, alphabetical A to Z, listing of not every character, but. All major characters and a good amount of second and third tier characters. So,、uh, you know, a kid in the '80s could learn about,、uh, like, the Two Gun Kid,、uh, a cowboy hero that DC owned,、hmm. and you would never find a, you know, unless you're actually fortunate enough to go to a, a little comic shop and, and know where one was and everything, you know. But、yeah. like, this is the era of you bought your comics at a rotating rack at、oh, uh, yeah. the drugstore, so like, you didn't really get back issues unless. 
you knew how to and you had somebody who could drive you. But yeah, like Two Gun Kid, Dr. Fate from the Golden Age, uh, all these things where you would learn about what was current, but you would also learn about the history of that universe. Marvel did the same thing a little bit later, and I believe it was called Marvel Universe. They actually did the Marvel Universe, and then I think they followed that up with The Book of the Dead, Hmm. which was a multi-issue series about their characters that had just... that had been dead at that point in continuity. So you would have, um, say, Wonder Man, and it would talk about how he was... Uh, you know, washed up stunt or washed up actor. I think he was a stuntman, maybe. Hmm. And he had a brother who was a supervillain and based on the vision and he died and came back and Avengers and all this stuff. And, but at that point he was dead. Yeah. So they include him in the original run, but they put him in this. Hmm. Um, so it was a, a really cool way of like finding out about stuff that had happened and like it just leave, leave you all these puzzle pieces. Like, you know, how, how did, you know, like with the X-Men, you know, I'm reading about, uh, what was what was one of the big ones? Like the Island of Genosha was mm-hmm. one of the big storylines back then. And uh, you would learn about different mutants and this and that. And you'd be like, oh, man, like I, I never seen this person before. But you could go back and look in your Marvel Universe. Oh, wow. And be like, oh, this is this guy. And he knows this and this. And he's done this and this. And it would give you stats and their co- their power descriptions and their first appearance and all this stuff. So uh, probably X Men was the biggest current one, and then GI Joe, of course, because I was huge into GI Joe. <laughs> yeah. So like like Marvel and like X Men, like any particular favorite character from the X Men that pretty much you kind of like idolized the most or kind of relate to the most? I was always a big Cyclops fan. Uh, people make fun of Cyclops, and they've done wrong to him the last several years, I think. Uh, but I always found Cyclops to be a really great character. You know, he was the the flawed mutant who couldn't control his... He was like the original flawed mutant who couldn't control his powers. Uh, and through my Marvel Universes, I found out, oh, his... You know, his brother is also an X-Men whose powers work, named Havoc. And, oh, their dad is a space pirate? <laughs> because he survived the plane crash and got transported to space, and now he's a star jammer. Uh, so to me, Cyclops always had a huge uh, appeal because he was like a broken character amongst all these outcasts, which were the X-Men, and he had to be the leader. So he always had to be the best and the most uh, like morally upstanding. So to me, like Cyclops is right there with like a a Captain America or an Iron Man where he's a leader of, you know, a team, but for a long time he was also sort of like the leader of his people. Okay. Not bad for X-Men. Like, for me, when it comes to Marvel, like, basically, I got into Marvel more because of Spider-Man. I remember growing up in the 90s, well, my first pop, my first thing that I got into was Ninja Turtles. Because honestly, I think my that was like the first cartoon that I saw. Where I saw that, you know, religiously, because every Saturday morning, of course, yeah, back then, guys, we had cartoons on Saturday morning. I would get a bowl of cereal and wait for Ninja Turtles to come on, and you know, I was looking for Saturday. And of course, I identified my word, like honestly, but me back then was like language barrier because, of course, you know, I spoke Spanish more. 
And of course, I had a hard time in school, you know, communicating with other kids because it was all because the school I went to was like a Catholic school, but I went as preschool um, because it was from preschool all the way eighth grade. So I was there for all the time, and it was kind of hard communicating with the kids. And they're like, it's got to the point that teachers told my parents like, hey. What's going on with your son? You know, he's got he's having a hard time communicating with the kids. He's got to learn that language, or else he's not going to survive. Mm. And of course, you know, I developed you know all my vocabulary from the turtles themselves because I was watching it every day. So I kind of pick it up all the sayings and all the reflections they were saying. Of course, I didn't start saying "calabunga" or "radical" like at school because that would make me sound weird. But it kind of helped me to that point, you know. And plus, there were teenagers, you know, like pizza and all that stuff. But you know, they always try to. Stop shredder and patiently help people, even though they cannot be up in the surface for too long because they're different. Yeah, well, and, and it's kind of relates to me because I'm, you know, compared to my brother, compared to everybody else, I'm different. So it's like, you know, my folks are really supportive of me now, but back then, you know, they were all, you know, in front of their their um, friends or our families, like they try to cover up, you know, hey, he's different, or you know, try to brush it off. But now they finally understand now that you know. I like this stuff. Like, I get excited over stuff like this because that's something I grew up in. It was my outlet. Yeah, well, I mean, for me, it was like I had... It, I grew up in a small town in Ohio, uh, you know, as opposed to Chicago schools here where they're like small cities. I It's, you know, maybe 150 people I graduated with. Not that many. I knew them all by name. Um, but the one person who was super important in my life growing up was Steve. And he was, you know, I met him in kindergarten and we were friends all the way through college. I mean, we're still friends to this day. And, like, he was the other person who got it. So, you know, like, you know, he was the other guy that, like, you would play G.I. Joe's with. He was the other guy that knew Star Wars. He was the other guy that, uh, you know, when you're running around outside in the backyards or, like, in, you know, like in the, I guess, like, wooded areas or whatever, mm-hmm. you know, that's who who you're... Pretending that you're Luke Skywalker or Han Solo with, or, you know, your favorite Joe. And, you know, as we got older, he had an older brother. Okay. Who was maybe six years older than me? Six, I think, years older than us. Um, So we would get some, like, Steve would hear about stuff through his brother, and then Steve would tell me. So, like, Bob was, like, my older brother once removed, you know. Mm -hmm. Uh, But... You know, Steve was the one that, like, we didn't play role-playing games, you know, like, with, like, five or six people. Yeah. It was me and Steve. And we always had to, like, work really hard to be, like, fair about it. Because it's, like, it was almost more like playing checkers or something to a degree because you got two people. There's no independent judge. There's no guy just sitting there saying, like, well, this should happen. This should happen. You had to, like, do it more like what's going to be the better story. Mm-hmm. And so, like, your character might be up against the wall. Like, you might have to let him go. You might have to let something terrible happen to that character because that's going to be better and you're going to remember it longer. Even though, like, as a player, you don't want your character to go down. You want your character to succeed and thrive. So, uh, you know, Steve, uh, we did Robotech together, uh including the role-playing game when I could find it and found hmm. a role-playing store in Toledo. And But, yeah, the Robotech series, I read, I'd pass them off to Steve and he would read them because uh, we didn't know about the cartoons at the time. Yeah, uh, yeah, because, of course, yeah, back in, like, the 80s, early 90s, anime wasn't that big yet. It didn't hit our market because it didn't even show it. It would show, like, early in the morning where basically, because that's how I got into it because... 
I remember Voltron and all that stuff, but that was like really early morning, the weekdays, and it was like they would have shown it. They wouldn't show it during the week mm-hmm. because, of course, because at that time it was Oz oh, from a different country, it wasn't America. But people don't realize a lot of those eighties cartoons outsource to Asia Asian uh, animation firms, mm-hmm. and they brought it over there. But of course, you know, as long as the main publisher was, you know. Like Ruby Spears was one of them, one of the American public, one of the American animation groups. You know, they did um, Alvin and the Chipmunks. They did a lot of like animated shows, but they're the main distributor in the U.S. But they outsource to other studios overseas. But of course, since they're the main one, they get most of the credit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Voltron. That was uh, I don't remember how many seasons there were. Uh, you know, there wasn't. I wasn't. I mean, I was around when there was VCRs, obviously, but like it wasn't the kind of thing where I would set it up or record stuff like that. So I just watched shows as they came along. Voltron, I do remember Voltron. If I was really to be a stickler about it, Voltron was probably the first time I remember seeing a character die on screen or, or you know, like within a series because they had like somebody's going to know the lion, but I don't. But uh, Sven was the slightly older. Voltron pilot, one of the Lion pilots, mm-hmm. and he was killed. He was one of the original guys, and the princess ended up taking over his Lion. And that was the first time I remember ever seeing anyone in a cartoon die, and you knew they were dead. Not like no, they're not coming. They're going to show up, you know, after the commercial break or something. Um, and then later, you know, I'd mentioned to you previously, you know, like you had. Uh, years later, the G.I. Joe movie, the original animated movie, and the original uh, Transformers movie. Oh, yeah. Oh, Watch those as a kid. You know, like, <laughs> you see those within a year or two of each other, and all of a sudden you have, you know, like, characters, big stories on screen, and they're gone. Like, Optimus, it was like, that was yeah, huge I remember at the time. That, yeah, and then, of course, when the show came, like, when the show, you know, came back after that movie, I read that, like, they pretty much kept that death, you know, kind of permanent. Later on in the seasons, but I think they found some way to bring them back. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure they did. And I want to say even, if I remember right, in the G.I. Joe movie, it appeared as though Duke was going to die mm-hmm. very early in the movie. And they left him in a state of uh, suspension, you know, like suspense. Uh, I want to say at the end they brought him back. But, uh, yeah, the G.I. Joe cartoon was super, super formative uh, at the time. And I still remember particular episodes and storylines. Um, the cartoon and the comic, of course, that was huge. Uh, every week that w- or every month, you know, I was looking for the G.I. Joe comic and just pins and needles with that one. That was a great comic for a long, long time. Hmm. Like, also growing up, um, uh, pretty much like, Besides G.I. Joe, did you collect, like, the figurines or the merchandise that came with those shows? Or? Oh, the G.I. Joe toys were made. See, Okay, so first of all... Talking about, like, Toys R Us and stuff like that. Yeah. You're a kid in, like, you know, the mid-80s. You get a $10 allowance or a $10, like, you know, fun money for the week or whatever. Mm-hmm. You could get two G.I. Joes or possibly three hmm. a week, depending on how you figured it out or if your parents <laughs> were going to spot you taxes. You know, like, it was like, okay, you got $10. Like, okay, but this is going to be probably, like, $12. Okay, it's fine. And, man, like, I had... I had a huge G.I. Joe collection. Of course, like a lot of people my age, I didn't keep them. I actually ended up passing them on to my nephews, um, who destroyed them. (laughs) Uh, But, oh, yeah, the G.I. Joe uh, figures, I'm not sure what the measurements are, but it wasn't the original run with the the large, maybe say like, what, maybe like Like 8 or 10 inch, you know, 
Golden Age, first G.I. Joe figures, World War II style ones. That was uh, the original. Yeah, I remember and those. I seen those. Like, well, I seen those, like, the way they were set up and... Yeah, like the big, giant G.I. Joes. Yeah, like the Migos uh, yeah. uh, style ones. But the, I had the smaller ones. They fit in the palm of your hand. They're probably three, maybe four inches. Um, I had, you know, I started out with the first wave. So I had Grunt, the original Snake Eyes, uh, their character who inexplicably had a laser rifle, um, Stalker, Scarlet, um, Duke, I don't think, came... Duke wasn't into the second wave. He was only the first ones. But I, I had that. Um, you know, they had the great joints at the knees and the elbows. They had articulated arms and legs. They'd been at the waist. They had the rubber band kind of uh, connector inside them. Those were great. And I collected those probably far longer than I should have as a growing young man. Uh, but I had dozens of those. My favorite of all time was, of course, Flint, who was the best G.I. Joe of all time. Hmm. Yeah, this like you said, this were like the three point. I think it says they're like three point, three three four size figurines or like nine point fifty two centimeters. I think that's the one you're talking about. I think yeah, they ran from like eighty two to nineteen ninety four. Looks like yeah, and those are great too because the packaging had on the back of it, you know, or the front it would have the blister pack, and you'd see this great painted image of the Joe. So like you know, Flint, for instance, you know, you see this picture of him with his little sawed off shotgun that he came in the package with, and you flip it over. And would show you little, the painted images of all the Joes from that wave that were coming out. And then it would have this little file card that was about the size of an index card. And it was meant to be cut out and capped. Hmm. And it would tell you, here is Flint, real name, da-da-da. Uh, military, I think they call it MOS now. But it's basically like his military skills specialty, which was he was a warrant officer. Hmm. And you find out, they, they did a whole little, like, three biography, three paragraph, like, biography on him. You find out, like... He went to school in this. He, you know, was a, I'm making this up, but like, you know, he would have been, he would have been born in Rhode Island, was a, you know, a star water polo player, went to West Point, graduated first of his class, was a qualified parachuting, became a warrant officer. And then it would tell you a little bit maybe about what a warrant officer was. And at the end, it would give you a little story, usually from the viewpoint of a different G.I. Joe, about how, you know, we're sitting in a Cobra holding cell for two days and we're sure it's the end. And then we start hearing noise and choppers outside. Then the door gets kicked in and you see Flint standing there with his lopsided grin saying, come on boys, we're going home. Like, I bet you that's actually what was on the file card at the time. But like you would get all this description of these characters. And for like a little kid, that was huge. It was like world building on the back of an index card. Yeah. Yeah. Back in the day, same thing when, um, I don't know who made the toys. I'm trying to find out who made them. For Joe? That was Hasbro. I think Hasbro, yeah. yeah. Hasbro did it. And then, of course, uh, I think Playmates kind of copied that a little bit because when Playmates come out with a Ninja Turtle toy line, my, like I said, my mom would open the Toys R Us, and every time I did something good, she would give me a figure. So I actually had a huge Ninja Turtle collection. I believe I still have it, but a lot of figures are kind of beat up. Hmm. I have a bag of all the accessories, but I remember like Playmates made them, and pretty much... Um, of course, the figures, figurines look different than the cartoon because in the cartoon, they're all green. But in here, like, Leo and Donatello had different shades of green. I guess they wanted... They all had the same mold, mm-hmm. but I guess they had it in different cartoons to distinguish the different turtles apart. Yeah. Besides the mass bandanas, because they were the first ones to do it. To have, because people don't realize it in the comic, 
the comic, you know, the original Ninja Turtles comic was dark, it was gritty, and of course it was like uh, pretty much a paying homage to Frank Miller's run of Daredevil. It goes dark, gritty, there was blood, and it was all that stuff. It was black and white, too, I think. It was black it? and white. Yeah. All, basically, according to Kevin Eastman Pierre, all the turtles wore red bandanas. So people don't realize it was the cartoon, the 1987 cartoon, that gave them each individual colors. Mm-hmm. And of course, the storyline was completely different in the cartoon because they were trying to appeal to kids, but at the same time, there was not just appeal to kids, but also merchandising-wise, because Playmates was going to help fund it, and plus, they were going to help fund the cartoon, and they were going to sell toys off of it, and of course, when the toys came out, you know, the molds were awesome, the men figurines were awesome, and, you know, they came with their plastic weapons, all the weapons had the same shade color, and on the back of the packaging, it'll show, like, the, the wave run of different turtles that are coming out, different figurines, and same thing, it had the card in the back, and it pretty much gave you a personality of each turtle, mm-hmm. which kind of was different from the comics, but it's, like I said, they were trying to promote the cartoon more. Yeah. So and- they like, you know, Michelangelo's the party guy, you know, Dantel's a smart one, he deals with machines more. Raph was the one that pretty much was had more of an anger problem. You know, he had the more temper, but he was more like the enforcer of the group. And you had Leo, who was like the leader, right? Who was like you know almost like a teacher's pet, and pretty much follows Splinter's rule and try to display his leadership to the other turtles. So like I had that same thing like you did with the with the GI Joes. I had a, a big Ninja Turtle collection. So yeah, that was. No, it was great. We were, I mean, and Steve and I, we did a lot of like indoor outdoor stuff with them too, because you know, like you're a kid, mm-hmm. you're building. Forts for your, you know, toys with whatever you have at hand. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, yeah. But we also did a lot of, like, G.I. Joe was pretty cool for us because it was small enough that you could get a, a shoebox and you could make a vehicle out of it hmm. that would be in scale with your G.I. Joe. Because you figure, again, you know, Joe fits in the palm of your hand. Uh, yeah. Any given shoebox, you can make a tank, a plane, a boat out of that. Uh, and then we were very lucky because my folks were very tolerant of me constructing huge tape and marker and uh, cardboard fortresses and just leaving them in the, the living room. Like, don't touch that until I get back. Don't touch it. Oh, wow. And uh, Steve would come over and we'd work on it. And, you know, we did it where, you know, G.I. just sold all kinds of accessories. But, like, yeah, I was of the, course, all those sets were yeah. probably expensive. As well. Oh, yeah. You know, they're hugely expensive. And I, I was fortunate my parents got me some stuff. But I think it was great for me because I learned, you know, like, I want a three-level base there's a box. I got tape and tape scissors. I got markers. And so, you know, I'm cutting doors, you know, three three lines, you know, top one side and another line. Fold it. I've got an entrance in and out. I draw a ladder on the outside of the, you know, the cardboard box. Here's my access to the next floor. Hmm. I want that room to be the computer room. I'm just drawing it on the inside with my markers. And it all works because Joe's are so small. You know, it was great. So... Uh, and Steve went along with that, and we had backyards, so, you know, sometimes we'd be digging up our parents' yards to, to create, you know, earthen fortifications and everything. Uh, during the winter, you know, even moderate snowfall, you could have a giant ice planet. It was great. Hmm. Uh, so I loved the skills of the Joes. Uh, it was really cool once, I mean, this is probably after I was out of college, they reissued a lot of them. Uh, like the original designs, the original paint jobs, because I'm sure it was the same thing with the turtles. Yeah, you know, first wave, it's accurate. Second wave, it's like Night Force, Tiger Force. Yeah, it was like, like yeah, jobs. because yeah. the turtles. Yeah, like they had the first run, and all of a sudden they had these weird ones where they had like the movie line turtles. Like one of the turtles two came out, they had the movie line turtles, and that was a different like they were kind of like a rubber type of silicone based figurines, mm-hmm. but they had the ball joints. 
Oh, okay. The first figurines, no. They were molded plastic, but they didn't have the ball joints, so they didn't have that articulation that now today's figures are. They have the ball joints. They can articulate. Mm-hmm. So you can pose them and stuff now, because nowadays now, I think it was at uh, Comic-Con this past summer, NECA, who's got a great reputation comes to making articulated figurines. I think last year, was it last year or two years back, they released like the first... Uh, cartoon run of the turtle figures mm-hmm. where they look like their cartoon appearances they came like in their own box and uh it was cool and they came up with like different like web accessories and you could pose them you could articulate them and everything even like you could switch out the bandanas you could have the bandanas hanging or something um and they did that they did the run with the turtles video game so they had like the 8-bit tie style and arcade style turtle figures and then last year this year you know with the 1990 movie um, I remember seeing that in theater. Like, my mom took me to go see that movie. It was one of the first movies I saw in theaters was the 1990 movie. I was, like, about five years old when that movie came out. Yeah, I was, like, about five or six. Yeah, that's going to blow your mind seeing it. And seeing like yeah. So, NECA, what it did was they came out. You can actually, Now they're sold out everywhere because it was a Comic-Con exclusive. Um, they actually made... They had the two sizes. They had the big size, and they had the figurine size, but they made an articulated digital movie from the movie. So, it was cool. It came in the original VHS box. Oh, Okay. So they actually designed it like the VHS box from the Turtles, but it came out, it came with, you know, different hands. You're going to have the hands posed, it had the hands closed or hand hands open, and they had like a bandana, you're going to have the bandana hanging down or on a wave, and they came with different accessories and you could pose them and stuff. And the boxes, like they had the box set, which comes like a little cutout that you can have them pose and stuff. So when I saw that, I'm like, man, that takes me back because I remember that was one of my first movies I saw in theaters my folks took me to go see. You know, and now I had the whole thing on Blu-ray, but yeah. <laughs> if I had the room, I would get the figures, but of course now I collect Funko Pop dolls, and of course my room is basically covered with Funko Pops, because that's the big thing right now, because with all the licenses they have, you know, Funko is, they came one of the big companies to start. Yeah, and, and you know, they're great at, they're a great platform for delivering almost any type of figurine. Uh, it's funny, because I, I always forget about them, and then they pop into my head, but you're talking about articulation in that. There was a a relatively short-lived toy line called Starcom. I think it was like like just S-T-A-R-C-O-M-M. And they were these little plastic guys. They were about the size of an adult man's thumb. They bent at the waist. Their knees would bend. And their arms, you know, kind of move up and down like Star Wars guys. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but they were always in a, like a variation of like an astronaut costume. So they had like a helmet, little plastic thing, go up and down. But the thing is, their boots were bulky. Yeah. Oh, I think I just pulled out the picture right now, so let's see. Now, these guys are wearing these little bulky space boots, but what you can't see necessarily mm-hmm. is that there's a small magnet at the bottom of each of them. These things were... I've never seen anything like it. They would have all these features that you would either wind mm-hmm. to activate, or you would just fold it. And it would work with like this little clockwork thing. So you would have this kind of basic shape, which was about the size of the palm of your hand and then maybe like two or three inches up. And almost everything would fold into a, that shape like it was a cargo container. Hmm. And then you would take your guy and you flip open a part, put him in there, and then either the magnetic action on his feet or you could like hit a release and that wind up action would pop out wings or legs. Or guns or wheels. So the idea was basically this was some sort of like star force that floated around, and they would have 
moderate to big size vehicles that would have the ability to actually take these cargo shaped things mm. and you could have like a like a moderate size flyer that would have like a like one of those cargo things it could fly you could magnetically release the cargo thing it would hit the ground you could put a guy in it all of a sudden a little cargo thing it's like a jeep basically huh wow and there was bigger play sets or some again some of the vehicles where like you would say wind up a gun turret and it would just sit there locked you put your guy in it and all of a sudden the magnetic action on his feet would release that like lock mechanism and it would start rotating and shooting you know like maybe just like a rotating action on the gun itself because a magnet had unlocked it and then it would work until the wind-up feature you know had lost its momentum and then you could do it again it it had airlocks too where you could put a guy on and it was just like a simple slide mechanism so it was this really neat like idea of like collapsing and expanding from a basic shape and they used, you know, really simple mechanical principles. Just simple magnets, simple wind-up, simple, like, catch-and-release things. It was, like, the most well-thought-out toy line I'd ever seen. And, and you know, it was cool, too, because some of the toys had magnets on them, like, for their own thing. So you could, you know, back when every refrigerator was metal, you could have your guys, like, climbing up a vertical surface or any metal object you could find, you know? Uh, I have no idea if there's ever a cartoon or anything with it, but... It looks like it was, because... Yeah, this is what we're talking about. Yeah, it says here it was an eight, 1987 animated syndicated U.S. television series inspired by the motorized horror franchise Coleco made it. Yeah, there you go, yeah. Coleco's the one that made it. It looks like it was out for what's it? Starcom, the U.S. Space Force, it ran for 13 episodes. Looks like Coca-Cola kind of... Help distribute it, and it looks like, yeah, Coco Telecommunications and Deke Entertainment, of course, if you remember Deke Entertainment, they did a lot of cartoons. Mm-hmm. They were a big, you know, across the sea, you know, company that did a lot of animation for a lot of cartoons. That was a great twin. Very innovative. And again, yeah, for someone yeah. who would like to craft their own things, you figure... Yeah, so you talk about, like, the magnets, uh, like, 23 figures, 6 play sets, and 13 vehicles with a Shadow Force, or something like 15 figures, so that's why... I guess that was like the oh magna lock magna lock technology. Yes, every figures had tiny magnets implanted in their feet. Not only did this allow them to stand their vehicles in places without falling off, it also activated devices in the playsets. Yeah, it was a. I've always wondered like who holds the license for that, like those mechanisms. Why I've never seen that again because it's so simple. Uh, it was such a great. It, it was very innovative at the time. Nobody else. Has you know done anything like that? And you're looking at things the size of your thumb. Well, then you open up the world of Legos or mm-hmm. other building things, and you're able to make even more things. And you know the scale works, so you didn't have to have a lot to make something big for these characters. Yeah, I was gonna say I don't know if Coleco was the one who made the mechanism for it. Well, somebody should bring that back. Yeah, it doesn't say. Yeah, it just says it just had the manual, but there's like no link to it, but. It has to be them because they were the first ones to come up with that toy line. And like I said, Coleco's one of the big things. You know, they made video games and, of course, um, I don't think they're around anyways. I want to see what... Coleco? Oh, I don't know. I'd, yeah, I'd, I'd be very surprised if they're still around. Yeah, because I know Deke or... Entertainment was gone, like, uh, they ended, like, in 2012. They got folded and they got bought by the Cookie Jar Group in 2012, looks like. Yeah, they're... Their parent company was like yeah, they had a lot of parent companies, so you can see they did a lot of uh, outsource for them. So it was in California, but it looks like they closed down. Long. They defunct it. Yeah, two thousand eight. 
that's when that company was around. Like it, it started like in eighty seventy one to eighty seven, did animation from eighty seven ninety three, but a lot of companies owned it. Like people don't realize they did a lot of stuff at Marvel, then ABC, they were independent for a while, but but all the programs they did, wow, they had a high list of them. Like, they did a lot. So, they, they did, like, like, a lot of the video game, like, a lot of the video game adaptations. Um, they did, like, the Super Mario Bros. Super Show. They did, like, the Legend of Zelda cartoon. Oh, yeah. They did Sonic the Hedgehog. They did um, Pole Position, because Pole Position was a video game. It looks like they did Starcom. The Littles was the one they did. Did they do Mask? Mask? Yeah, that was a great 80s property, too. Uh, Mask, let's see. Who did Mask? Let's see what company did that. Let's see. Yes, guys, we're using Wikipedia. <laughs> there we go. Mask. Yeah, I don't know if they... I don't think that's another one that's gotten any kind of reboot. And Yeah, they, they did do Mask, and Kenner was the one that did the toy line for it, too. I remember seeing Mask, and... Mobile Armor Strike Command. That's what pretty much will stand for. Yeah, that was another great, uh, act, like uh, another great toy line that featured smaller figures. And then, you know, as the name implies, I don't know if you how much you remember about Mask, but they would have um, they weren't Transformer esque in that you know the guy who drove a truck, his truck didn't transform into a robot. No, but it would it would transform. Uh, almost like a Vera attack had like a couple different levels of transformation. It would transform into like a mid-level thing where it would go into more of like from a regular semi tractor trailer to uh, like a battle ready, like a mad, like a sci-fi Mad Max kind of thing hmm. where it would have like weapons that, that would display and stuff or like satellite discs. And then his trailer became like a battle and repair platform or something. Or there was like a Corvette that, you know, the gullwing doors would pop down. the The front would flip over, so it had almost like a like the bow of a boat, and it was like a seaplane. But then the pilots each had these helmets that they would put on that each had different powers. So, like I remember, the one I always remember is that there was a guy who had one called Lifter, and he would say like Lifter activate, and it would have like an anti gravity ray. Basically, another guy had like lasers, and you know they had different things that their their mask could do. So it was like. The pilots were semi, you know, super heroic in their way because they had these, like, abilities through their masks, and then their vehicles were super augmented, and then they had, you know, whatever their opposition force was. But that was another great, like, small-scale figure because then, you know, the vehicles, you had to get the vehicles for the story to make any sense oh, whatsoever. So uh, the small ve- characters allowed for smaller-sized vehicles that were still in scale. That that was yeah. I I remember the cartoon for that one, and the oh, I had a, a good amount of those guys. Yeah, this was a cartoon that ran for a while, ran for like seventy five episodes. Oh, that's longer than I thought. Yeah, especially when it comes to like yeah, like Coleco. Yeah, they came from Connecticut. They were the Connecticut leather company before they got into the toy industry, video game industry. They folded like in nineteen eighty eight, so that was during the game crash. Game crash was like about eighty three, but it looks like they tried to stick in the toy business, but they ended up like closing down. Afterwards, and looks like they sold off their assets to two foreign countries: Amsterdam and closed plants in Amsterdam, New York, and other cities. But so far, the brand looks like it's owned by uh, 
Dormitus Brands, a Chicago-based brand revitalization company in which uses Coleco brands in the marketplace. Hmm. The company introduced a Coleco Sonic and handle containing 20 Sega Master System and Sega Ginger games. In 2014, reverse brands established today Coleco Holdings for Coleco branded projects. So right now, in 2015, Coleco Holdings announced the development of the Coleco Chameleon new cartridge-based video game system. Next, actually, it's a rebranding of the controversial Retro VGS console where Indiegogo campaign failed to secure funding when it ended in 2015. So they try to create a system of it. Like Atari's coming back, so that's a big thing. Atari announced they're making a new console. Oh, man. Like, not only it's supposed to, like, not only they're going to have, like, a back, you can get a backlog of all their games, but supposedly they're start developing new games for it. But I think it's another way to get the nostalgia, because that's what's going on these days. It's like the nostalgia is basically coming back. A lot of 80s stuff is now cool now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah, wow. So, yeah, I mean, I was familiar with those companies, like, those things like Mask, but, you know, I had Transformers, I had the Mini Transformers, um, I know there was GoBots was another one, oh. that was supposed <laughs> to be, like, the knockoff Transformers. That was the worst. <laughs> yeah, my friends were very much into Transformers, Transformers and He-Man were more like my He-Man, friends, yeah. I never really had that much of that, especially Steve had a lot of Transformers, but he's a little bit more of a car guy than I am, I'm not really that much of a car guy, uh... Yeah, I remember I had He-Man, I had He-Man, and Skeletor, I had both of them. Well, the He-Man cartoon was awful. That was, that was the first time, even as a little kid, I became aware of reusing sequences over and over again to cut costs. So, anyway. Oh, yeah, Disney did the same thing, too. People don't realize Disney used the same, like... That was a way, like... People don't realize... Yeah, I remember Disney did that, too. I didn't know until later on when um, Disney... They did the same thing for some movies, too. Like, mm-hmm. for feature films, they did that for, like, The Jungle Book or Robin Hood. They did, like, they'll use the same animated sequences, but they colored the characters in. So they used the same animated cells. Oh, wow. Like, the same sketches. Like, I think they did that to help save money. Yeah, and He-Man, it's like, if you've ever seen He-Man cartoon, you'll remember whatever character runs to a corridor, and it switches to a slightly overhead shot, and you see the character kind of, like, rotate slightly to the right, and then rotate to the left, and then kind of, like, decide to run to the right. And that happened three, four times an episode. And you figure that's... I mean, I don't know how animation, especially hand animation, really, really times out. But you figure that was probably a five, maybe six-second sequence that they used a couple of times an episode. And that saved them having to animate, you know, maybe 15, 20 seconds mm-hmm. every episode. And... That had to have made save them enough time and money that they kept doing it. But man, even as a little kid, you're like, why is it always that same corridor that they're <laughs> running down? Yeah, I think Hannah Barbera did the same thing too. Of course, when oh, it comes Hannah to like, yeah, 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 they did a lot of that, especially with the Flintstones and the Scooby Doo when they're running through like a hallway. You see the same background over and over again when they're running, or you see like Fred and Barney driving through town they're driving in the car and then in the back like you see it's the same background but i think they did that same thing too just to save you know money and just to, like instead of reanimated individual backgrounds they just splice it together oh yeah absolutely. In, the, in the background all the same characters are driving those were hanna barbera cartoons were great i don't know did, was there any ones that you saw like growing like in, oh man with? uh thunder the barbarian uh space ghosts the herculoids those are the big ones that I remember, mm-hmm. uh, which I don't know if you're familiar with any of those, really. Space Ghost had a big, not a comeback, but, you know, it had kind of like a second life. Oh, yeah, it was uh, the talk show? Yeah, but the original the- Space Ghost was a lot different because uh, he was like a, a 
you know, spacefaring, kind of somewhere between a Superman and a Batman, because he had, as far as I remember, his powers were all based on the suit. He had these force gauntlets that he could press, and it would allow him to, you know, he could fly. He had force fields. He had lasers or, you know, some sort of force projection, you know, blast. I don't believe he could go intangible, but he could go invisible. I'm guessing that's what it says here, because it's... Yeah. yeah, it says here. Yeah, and, and and he was you know a very like if you would have put him in a comic book context, like a shared universe context, he would have been a very you know pretty high like mid to high mid level character. You know he was he he had some strength, flight. You know again space. He had a ship. He had two companions that would go around with him, and he was like a spacefaring hero. Uh, Thundar was like a. Probably, you know, again, back in that time, you're looking at stuff like, you know, Mad Max, Conan the Barbarian kind of stuff. Yeah, I remember... Planet of the Apes kind of stuff. And Thundar was like a post-apocalyptic world. Hmm. And he had, a like, a, a sword hilt on his forearm that he could draw, and it would make an energy sword. It's probably Star Wars right there, you know? He had a, a big animal companion and a wizard or witch, you know woman companion the herculoids was like a family lot like in space like a semi-primitive family they had a bunch of different uh like animal companions that had different abilities due to their different like alien species um those were those were really really well done cartoons and i know that fan that hanna-barbera line had other branches to it but those are the ones that i got to see where i was growing up yeah, I see here, Thunder Barbarian. Like, see, I never got. Yeah, Ruby Spears. This is the company I was talking about. And oh yeah, yeah. So I, I didn't get to Thunder. I never heard of Thunder or Herculoids until was it back when back in the early nineties when Carson we my parents barely got cable because mm. we we still we were still we didn't get cable till like 95, 95, 96, I believe. With my mom decided to get cable, um, and pretty much. Uh, Cartoon Network at that time, they were showing, you know, retro cartoons. That's when I started seeing, like, the old Space Ghost. Like, if you go, like, late at night during the summer, you, you can see, like, the late night, like, Space Ghost. They'll show, like, the Flintstones. They'll have, like, reruns of the Looney Tunes and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. I remember seeing the Herculoids one time on a Saturday. Seeing a few episodes of Thunder I'd never actually seen. But, like I said, they were showing all that before they started creating their own cartoons, like Dexter's Laboratory, Cow and Chicken, Ned and Eddie, and all that stuff. So, it's like, like, growing up, like, I... Like I said, Nitros was one of them. Thundercats, I've seen those. Two Thundercats was one. Oh, Thundercats. Yeah, that was great. You know, I remember, yeah, Thundercats was a great cartoon, especially the theme song, like, or, you know. They had, a, like, a little bit of a horror element, too, with, like, the Mum-Ra. Mum-Ra, I still remember that, the opening sequence with his, like, gaping mouth, and, mm-hmm. you know, that was really, I mean... I was a little mom raw the ever living. Yeah, I remember he was scary. Same thing with like my mom loves Skeletor, so when she got me the He Man figurines, uh, I saw like a few episodes of He Man. The only thing I can remember, you know, was by the power of Grayskull. Yeah, I have the power. Well, they're doing. Uh, I know they're seen they're, this. they're talks about like they're possibly doing a uh, another movie. Well, they're doing... I, I don't follow video games, as you know, but uh, there's been that Injustice video game series and then from DC. And yeah, then, and then they made a comic of it, too. Yeah, well, the comic, they're going to have it intersect with the He-Man universe. Yeah, I saw that. I think I saw that a few months back. I think I went to a comic book store and I saw that. 
Because they did that too. Like I like they did like they did the Ninja Turtles and Batman. I don't know. Yeah, and yeah. now they did part two, which I want to get. I want to collect that miniseries. And apparently, they also did. Uh, they did the Batman anime series in the 2012 Ninja Turtles cartoon, so they intersect also in the comics. I think oh. they made that one towards kids. Okay. I'll still get it, though, because I enjoyed Ninja Turtles 2012 yeah. series. The Nick series wasn't that bad. I just said that it ended early. It ended after five seasons, but I actually enjoyed it, especially the last season where they decided to have different stories. Mm-hmm. And they had, like, a thing, I guess, um, there's one episode which apparently people are thinking it was, like, the actual finale was, it's, like, years back... It's like apocalyptic world where mutants took over, and basically it's like Raph is all big and beefy, and he's like almost like a Mad Max style character. He's going to waste and Donnie ended up his consciousness ended up like his brain was in a robot body. So, hmm. and you know they're trying to find you know a shelter like a like a new place to live. It was really interesting, and um, people think that was original, and that was the, supposed to be the original finale because the, even the sequences was kind of like at the end it had a flashback of all the turtles and Splinter. But it's funny because I don't, you haven't seen the glowing one, but there's a spoiler that Splinter actually dies mm-hmm. in that Nickelodeon cartoon. I'm like, first time I ever seen a Nickelodeon cartoon that a character dies. Yeah. I mean, Avatar The Last Airbender was one of the great characters, like, great cartoons of Nick, because I got to start watching Nick, because Nickelodeon, of course, I grew up on Rugrats, Doug, you know, Ren and Stimpy, mm-hmm. um, Rocco's Modern Life, and nowadays, now they're coming back, you know, Hey Arnold came back with a TV movie, Rocco's Modern Life, supposedly sometime this year, is releasing a TV movie, Invader Zim's coming out with a TV movie, mm-hmm. this is all that nostalgia, because they got the comics. Yeah. Well, I think... Now, yeah. like nowadays, now IDW, which is a big publisher now, because they're more they were put independent, you know, licenses. Well, and I think you know, talking about like how they had better storylines at the end of that short-lived, you know, Turtles revamp, and they had like that maybe not a cliffhanger ending, but sort of like okay, a, ending, yeah. this is it, what it would showed, happen yeah, if it was then, going. And at the end, and the credits says for Pe- Kevin and Peter, mm-hmm. and the, the original artwork from the Turtles from the comic. And that, that, that ending, but all of a sudden you find out, like a few weeks later, they had a two-part episode where, there, where the Turtles intersect with the 80s Turtles, but the Bebop and Rock Study from the 2012 series go interact with the Shredder. Mm-hmm. Because the Shredder from the 80s and Krang from the 80s, which they had a great job. They actually brought uh, Peter Fraley back as Krang. They had all the original voice actors for the Turtles. Of course, Rob Krang Pol- was like the brain one with the body, like the, the robot suit. Yeah, right? the, okay, the yeah. brain with the body. You know, it's always Shredder. Get those blasted turtles. Right. And you had Shredder, who was voiced by James Avery. People don't realize it's Uncle Phil from... Fresh Prince of Bel Air, but mm-hmm. he did voice acting back in the day. But they had oh. Kevin Michael. Yeah. Okay, now I know who you're talking about. All he right. was in a lot of cartoons and stuff. People don't realize that he did cartoons before he did live action. Okay. And he was Shredder at that time, but of course, you know, he passed away, you know, years back. But that Kevin Michael Richardson was the Shredder in the show. But it was cool because he did like a little tribute to the Shredder, so he kind of matched that whole pitch of Jamie Avery's pitch, and he did a phenomenal job, you know. Getting his mannerisms and all that stuff, so just get that vocal tone, and it was a really good job. And basically, they'd run into them, and of course, they'd be up from Rocksteady, like you know what they're doing to keep failing with the turtles and stuff. And of course, you got the rocks, the eighty shredder and the eighties crane. They leave the they leave to go to the per, uh, new dimension and take over that main dimension where the, the two thousand twelve turtles live. And pretty much, they leave the old people from Rocksteady behind because they were idiots. They kept messing up. They kept screwing up. And of course, you know. You have the 80s Turtles crossing over, and it's funny because you see, uh, because 
the 2012 Nickelodeon Turtles, they used their weapons versus the 90s, the, the 80s, 90s cartoon turtles. Of course, they're playing the kids. They hardly use their weapons. Mm-hmm. They were using like you know stuff like fire hydrants or stuff. So even you watch them across, they're like, "Hey, I can't open a, f- a fire hydrant and stuff." It's like, you know, it was kind of cool. I mean, they, they felt that was the ending, but that was like not the only time they crossed over. But they made it as a two parter, right? But it was cool seeing you know the most of Oysters come back for that for that series run. Yeah, but I think for that you, episode, so I think good ca- cartoons like that people forget or don't really think about how like that affects. Like, the little kid watching it, you know, like, a kid can see a really, like, a cartoon that takes itself seriously to a degree. And, you know, you give it a good story, and then you put in an ending like that apocalyptic Turtles one, and it makes little kids really think. And, you know, they want more, they want a higher quality story the next time. They're looking, you know, like, that's what they start looking for in books or... Yeah. You know, movies or other cartoons like that, they want that, like, you know, quality and, you know, that, you know, wonder at the end. You know, you see your favorite, possibly your favorite Ninja Turtle now is a disembodied spirit in a robot body. Like, you know, you can't, you don't get more than that, but you're going to always kind of be looking. And so you might find that in another, you know, comic, book, movie, what have you. But I think people don't give enough credit to, like, good, solid storytelling in a cartoon and how, like, that hits kids at an important time for them. Yeah, like, of course, you know, I think one of the cartoons that, you know, with me was Adventure Time. You know, I love Adventure Time. You know, it was sad to see the series end after so many years, after 10 years. And what's funny thing is that got me back into watching Cartoon Network because back then, before 2008... Cartoon Network was going through this whole phase of live action programming. They were not doing original cartoons. And all of a sudden, they slowly started adding cartoon, original cartoons. Like the Adventures of Flapjack and Chowder. They were, they were done by artists. Like what Cartoon Network does now, it's like they scout, you know, students like graduates from Cal Arts. Mm-hmm. And they have a program where they can go and send their pitches. Mm-hmm. And Cartoon Network picks it up, they make a pilot, and if it does good, they'll give them a series. Right. So a lot of people like Pendleton Ward, you know, he came up with Adventure Time, you know, J.G. Quintel, regular show. They all went to that school, and they were able to send their pitches to Cartoon Network, and they were able to get these cartoons. Like, regular show ended, like, a, few, a year ago, and, of course, um, that was a great show because it was, like, J.G. Quintel's, like, you know, homage to, like, all the things he grew up on, like the '80s and stuff, video games, you know, music and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. But it was sort of cool. I enjoyed that show, and of course, when I ended this year, you know, the finale, you know, was kind of sad because I was sad to see that show ended after so many years, and now it's actually it's going to live on in comics. Mm-hmm. So they're going to do season eleven, but in comic book form. So because that way they made the endings, like anything can happen after that. Yeah, and I mean, it seems like that's a nice outlet for a lot of writers and you know, TV shows that. I know would Buffy. continue if yeah. they could, but, you know, like, Buffy's done that for years. I know they're doing that. Uh, what is it, Firefly's done that now? It's in the comic book, like a continuation. Yeah. Uh, but nowadays, now, you got these shows, these sitcoms are coming back, like Roseanne. They, it came back for a while, and, of course, the whole controversy with that. And now they're trying to go make a show from Roseanne, but now it's going to be called the Connors, and they're going to do it without Roseanne. Mm-hmm. And see how those characters go on. Or, like, now Murphy Brown is coming back. Or nowadays, now they'll take, like... The old TV shows from the 60s and 70s and bring them back for a new generation like Magnum P.I. just recently got released this week. And then, of course, they have Hawaii Five-0. 
So they're slowly trying to bring like these old shows, and, but for like a new generation. Yeah, I mean they're they're I mean like just the Mission Impossible series. A lot of people don't realize that that was a I heard it was a, like a, TV a contemporary. Show. Yeah, I mean that was Leonard Nimoy from uh, Star Star Trek. Huh. Was I and I could be incorrect. Was but he the recorder? He like, was the voiceover for uh, it, or no? I want to say he appeared on screen on the first season, maybe. He it was pretty close to after I watched me be wrong. Um but I'm fairly certain that Leonard Nimoy did appear as a regular on the Mission Impossible TV series for not more than a season if that. Um of course back then it was more common for actors to be kind of moving around from show to show because you would have shows like Columbo yeah. that were you know is it, it was Columbo's show Peter Falk mm-hmm. but it was very common to see Big name stars show up to be the murderer of the week. Oh, and okay. you know you would have. Oh, you're right. Learning what Peter Graves. Yep, Peter Graves. I think he was the main element in that show. Um, but I want to say people like Nimoy. Uh, if you would want to say it this way, that would be the Tom Cruise would be like a Leonard Nimoy where. You know, uh, Graves was the the director, and he would give the mission if you choose to accept it. But, like, you know, Nimoy would be the one out in the field with a couple of other guys. And then whoever replaced Nimoy. Um, but, uh... Yeah, he was there for... looks like he was there for two seasons from four and five. Yeah, that was probably after Star Trek, I would think. Because I don't remember... Yeah, Star Trek, I didn't remember. Like I said, I didn't get to Star Trek now... Back then, but now I got into. I started watching. Hulu has like the first like. Oh yeah, they had the series. So I started watching. I'm like, oh okay, so that's how it was back then. Well, me like nowadays, like I got Batman. I don't know if you ever watched Adam West's Batman. Yeah. Oh yeah, that was on. I used to watch most shows. There was whatever was on at the time, but then like you know, I remember Saturdays they used to have reruns of the old shows. Well, yeah, and then there was a channel out of Detroit because it was before cable, uh, before we had cable. So you just get whatever would broadcast. Yeah. We were close enough to Detroit that we would get. Detroit, and that's where I would see the original Batman, uh, or, well, you know, the Batman TV series, Wonder Woman, stuff like uh, Mission Impossible, Lost in Space, all that great, like, kind of 60s entertainment was being shown as reruns when I was a little kid. Hmm. Yeah, so nowadays, what are you watching now? Uh, well, you're, I like, watch a lot of Netflix, you're reading or watching or, you now. Know, <laughs> um, you know, like, what I'm currently working my way through... Uh, I'm working my way through second season of Luke Cage. You know, all of a sudden there's Luke Cage, then Iron Fist, and then uh, Daredevil coming out. So they're, you know, I think Netflix created a good sense of urgency to get their viewers kind of like locked in to catch up uh, and be ready for Daredevil, which I'm very excited about. Um, let's see here. Movie-wise, I don't get to go to the theaters that often, so yeah, I haven't seen anything since Ant-Man and the Wasp came out, which I really enjoyed. Uh, and then I think I saw, and then uh, I'm buying, I buy stuff that I've seen that I like to watch again and again. So, like, Han Solo just came out. Yeah, I have um, not seen it, so. <laughs> I, I recommend it. I thought it was a good, a good fun movie. I'm sure I'm going to buy the, the Blu-ray DVD pack, you know, shortly, because I like to have the Star Wars movies, you know, physically have them. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I've been trying to catch up on the Marvel Netflix series. Um, I've been re-watching selected X-Files episodes. Big X-Files fan from back in the day. Uh, I've been debating on whether or not to start watching Lost again. It'll be my third time through uh, on that. 
other than that, I guess like a lot of people, I'm waiting for Game of Thrones to, yeah. to come through again. Uh, I know the last season is supposed to be coming out what next year. Yeah, I think it's like late next year though. I think it's yeah. Been believe me, I got back. three seasons. I got to catch up on. I have them on Blu-ray, so I got like yeah, I got They're a lot of time to catch up. Absolutely worthwhile, but you got time too. Yeah. Um, but you know, the big thing that's actually got me excited, which is coming up, is the the uh, Lord of the Rings properties that Amazon's got coming oh, yeah, up. I heard about that. Um, yeah. You know, I, I somehow accidentally got an Amazon Prime account for a year. Uh, I paid for it, but it was not intended to have gotten it. And I got it, got hit with the cost, called in, I auto-canceled it. You know, as soon as the, the time frame is done, it's going to cancel. And then, of course, this Lord of the Rings thing gets announced, and uh, it's weird. I I might be reluctant to pay for Prime just to see this, you know, the the Tolkien properties again. But since I've had Prime, I've watched. Uh, I'm watching The Man in the High Castle right now. Uh, I'm early into season two. I believe there's three seasons now, but I'm only into early into season two, and it's really high quality. Hmm. It's really well done. the The production quality is great. The uh, casting is, you know, dead on. It's a lot of character actors that I've seen a little bits and pieces before, and uh, the main. You know, a couple of figures, central figures, are not big name actors, but hmm. they are an alien and knocking out of the park. And um, the Jack Ryan Amazon series that came out, that's got, you know, larger name actors in it. Uh, and again, it's just like, it's really, really high quality stuff. And looking at the budgets announced for the Tolkien series, <laughs> I, I, you know, it's like, it's, it's hard. It's, it's, uh, like trusting a studio now, you know, it's like the, yeah. a, the Amazon studio machine. It seems to be, you know, pretty solid. Um, so I, <laughs> I may end up going back to prime at some point just to, <laughs> to see these, uh, these Tolkien properties, because that's, that has been one of my big things ever since, uh, you know, reading them back in, you know, junior high. Yeah, I read those in high school, too. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, of course, I loved I loved all the Peter Jackson movies. I, I even like the Hobbit ones, which a lot of people don't like. Uh, like. Honestly, I liked them for a fact. I never read the Hobbit, so it's like, it was a good way to watch it, but I heard the Hobbit wasn't a big book. No, the Hobbit, you know, for anybody who hasn't read it, it's a smaller book. It's more intended for children, and, you know, Tolkien, as a lot of people know, like, he created the whole world as a linguistics exercise, because he wanted to create a language, and then being the the singular imagination he is, he decided, well, if he's going to create a language, he's going to have to create a people. If he's going to create a people, he's going to have to culture. He's going to have to culture, he's going to have to have a theology. So... It's very layered, but, like, The Hobbit was not outside of that, but it was, you know, intended for his kids. Mm -hmm. So it was a different thing. It was uh, a great story. And uh, if I remember correctly, when when that started doing well and he realized that he could do the books which would become Lord of the Rings, he went back and made, like, a one edit in The Hobbit. And so I think the first print run, or like maybe the second print run, aside from being 
just valuable from being like early editions of the books. Mm-hmm. They're the unedited ones. And then when he did the edit for like a further edition or like I guess uh, like, like a further printing, yeah, that's when the ring Made really like I think he foreshadows its importance somehow in those later printings. Like, he went back and corrected something just a little bit that, like, he could never have predicted he would need to do. Because he didn't write it. He didn't write The Hobbit planning to launch a franchise. Oh, okay. So, he just did it as, like, a one-off. Yeah. And so, you know, he had this, you know, uh, he had Bilbo find a magic ring. And then as he moved forward, he realized, you know, what this magic ring really could be. And he needed to go back and make just, like, a tiny little tweak so that everything would line up from that point on. So I think if you get any modern editions, it's 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 gonna have it, it lines up. But I, I believe the first print run, if not like the second, uh, had like some minor change or like like the original wording of it okay. would have not let it line up, or at least it wouldn't have seemed hmm. to line up. Uh, but yeah, those Amazon properties for uh, the Tolkien stuff. That's I'm really excited about that. Yeah, I'm kind of excited too because like I said, I read the three books in high school. I read, I had to like do journals based on them, like my readings. I had to present one of them too. Like I had to do like a, things around that time, it was 2003, I was in senior high school and we had to do, the first movie just came out and I had to do a comparative study of both. And I had the DVD of Lord of the Rings and I had to bring it to school. I had to do like a Kind of thing because in the Lord of the Rings they added some stuff that were not until they were in the second book, mm-hmm. in the Two Towers. So of course they add stuff to the Fellowship just to give that transition. And I pretty much did like a whole comparative study, like this will happen in the book, this is why it was shown in the movie, this was cut out, all that stuff. And of course then they decided to, to come back, and I got the extended editions on Blu-ray, so mm-hmm. they, I got the whole extended thing. And I remember me and Andy pretty much saw the whole like extended. We spent like the whole weekend watching the whole extended, and I was like so many hours. I'm like, oh, okay, Blu-ray really finally added that that scene mm-hmm. in there. So it's like they had some stuff that you know they were cut out from the, the movie, and they were able to go in and add the effects and everything. Yeah, and it's. I think the movies threw a lot of people too because I, if you watch any of those, um, like the commentaries or the making of the world, you know, featurettes on that kind of thing, they do make a point um, on how they tried to lay out the timeline for multiple threats. Kind of, you know, they tried to like have a comparative timeline, or you know, if Gandalf is here at this point, you know, if he's captured by Saruman. At this date, where are the rest of them? And they had to try and figure out how to actually make that clear in the movie because, as as you may remember... The only thing, yeah, the only thing, yeah, the only thing I had a big gripe wasn't the Return of King was the way they killed Sauron because people don't realize that when you read the... Yeah, they had Sauron just fall off the freaking tower Mm -hmm. onto, like, spikes. People don't realize in Nine of Two Towers going to Return of King... Yeah, they stopped Saruman, but Saruman ends up escaping the tower. Mm-hmm. He ends up hiding in the Shire and tries to court because then you have Frodo, Frodo, Sam, Merry, and Pippin end up going back to the Shire and end up finding Saruman, who's basically tries to, he's depowered, but he tries to take over the Shire. And of course, there's a whole back and forth, back battle with him. And he ends up getting weak to the point that they kick him out. Yeah. But of course, they didn't want to show that in the movie. So they decided, you want to extend this to just him. Get betrayed by somebody again, knocked out, and fall into the yeah. Because I think that's what it was. Like he got knocked out by somebody. He he's betrayed by uh, Wormtongue. Wormtongue, Wormtongue yeah. yeah. And I know I had seen a comment one place or another where they just felt you know this movie already has a bunch of endings 
So I think they, they, did that, they did that just to speed it up. Because, yeah, it does have a lot of endings. Yeah, the Return of King had a lot of endings for each character. Yeah, and, you know, at a certain point, you're going through, you know, a half hour at the end of wrapping up every single character's fate. And I think they felt, you know, to go back and have uh, basically like another rebellion or another uprising you know, at the last, you know, how, how are you going to do, is that another movie? Is that, you know, another hour? What are we cutting to lose this? So, uh, I'm usually pretty open to people making choices for like editing or adding or blurring mm-hmm. things in order to create a solid narrative all by itself. So, you mm-hmm. know, if the book is a narrative and it works, that's great. If, they are adapting it and they're staying true to the spirit and the movie works as a narrative by itself. That's great. I'm okay with there being differences between the two. That's why I'm pretty accepting with most of like the Marvel movie changes yeah. or the Netflix. I would, you know, say, yeah. changes. I would say, yeah, with the Marvel movies, I know it's like, I'm okay with them because honestly it's kind of hard to translate all the stuff that's in the comics into real life because as you can see, they try to make these characters of what would it be like in the real world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and of course, people were like, "Oh, the purist." Yeah, and you got the purist. Like, why did they change this character? Why did they update this character? I'm like, people understand. You know, we're in a different times. Remember, those comics came out in the early '60s. Mm-hmm. Like, and they came out in the '60s because Marvel was timely comics, and they didn't get big until the '60s when they had a Fantastic Four. They had Spider-Man. You know, Captain America was made during you know World War II era. Because they needed that was a propaganda machine. They needed like a hero to go against you know the Nazis, and of course that's how Captain America was made. Yeah, absolutely. And it's I think the I get into arguments with a guy. Uh, you know, again I'm older than you, and I I know a friend, a good friend of mine who's about ten years older than me. Um, but because I like things which are older, mm-hmm. it overlapped perfectly with what he likes. So he's you know he's a Adam West Batman, you know, to the end of time. And oh yeah. I original I still Star Trek and you know, he gets mad when they alter things. You know, like the new Star Trek movies. I like with, I said, with I Chris Pine. Yeah, I haven't seen those. Which I don't want to see you're not missing anything. They're great action movies. Mm-hmm. You know, but they're not it's very hard to say, but it's like they're not really Star Trek movies because the original Star Trek TV show and Next Generation did a lot of kind of showing that this was a world where humanity was at peace with itself. It was a very optimistic world, Star Trek. And then they would go out and they would encounter things, Mm -hmm. you know, that were very often analogies of real life problems. And the next generation did a pretty good job of that. Yeah, I remember seeing the next generation. I remember seeing that. Oh, yeah. And it was great. I think it really held true to the spirit. But, like, especially as you look at, like, the Chris Pine-led Star Trek movies, they're great, but there's no hint of, like, that feeling of, like, exploration. Mm -hmm. There's no sense of wonder. There's no... The real feeling of like unity of spirit of like the human spirit and and like once we're we put aside you know the concerns of money and race and where you grew up it's like it's just we're all human we're all going out to see what we can do next and uh you know that i think they lost in the star trek franchise a lot of other things though i feel like they manage to carry the spirit really well through. And as long as they carry the spirit through, I figure, you know, like, hopefully for me, Star Trek, they'll course correct. 
they'll come back. You know, they had that loss of Chris Pine and Chris uh, Hemsworth. Yeah. Hemsworth, you know, like hopefully they're going to be able to keep going. And you know, I hope they get some of that like exploration, that like uh, positivity back in the films, because that's what I would love for kids to get. You know, to see. Yeah, that spirit of wonder and going on in the Star Trek, you know, franchise and ideals like live on. So that's why I'm okay with changes because like if I love, you know, something and I I want other people to experience it, like I know they're not going to love it the same way I did if they're born 20 years later. You know, they're different worlds. So, but there's often things that can still be saved. You know, and and push forward the way things like X-Men and Turtles and yeah. uh, things like that, you know, where they keep coming back and they keep appealing to kids. Because there's always going to be a kid that feels like they're not, yeah. you know, with everybody else. So they're going to like and need something like X-Men or like Turtles where they're outcasts, but they're still trying to do the right thing. And that, that's why I'm okay with stuff. Yeah, like, like Marvel that. now, like how they're relaunching a lot of series, like X-Men Red and X-Men Blue now. Mm-hmm. I heard those series are really good. And you had, like, one time you had Captain America as, like, a Nazi. Yeah. When um, Red Skull, like, we did the Cosmic Cube and we did everything, made him, like, a sleeper agent. But now with, you know, Marvel, with the whole thing now, Marvel's bringing back Fantastic Four. Yeah. Yeah, they're bringing back because, of course, people don't realize it. If you guys don't read, like, you know, websites and stuff... Reason why they had to cancel, you know, Fantastic Four was they were trying to get the rights back. Because what happened was people don't realize that any new character they create automatically gets all those rights get to um, Fox. Like mm-hmm. Fox had the movie rights, but Marvel had the TV ones. So that's why they were like, you know, they, they had a. That's why you don't see merchandise for X Men movies because they were trying to get the th- now with Disney and Fox becoming, you know, now Fox selling their entertainment division. Mm-hmm. Basically, that's what I'm saying. Fox is not going away. Fox is going to have sports and news, but they're just selling their entertainment division, like their film and television. So now Marvel will finally get those rights back. They'll get Fantastic Four back in the family. They'll get the X-Men back in the family. But basically, all the projects that they have lined up are still going on because, I mean, you still got to have X-Force and possibly Deadpool 3. Mm-hmm. You got Dark Phoenix, which just released the just released its first um, trailer. Yeah, it looks great. It actually yeah. looks really good. Can't wait for that. It comes out next year. Um, I mean, you got another one called like New Mutants, which was supposed to come out this year, but got pushed back. Yeah, that looks really for, interesting. Like, reshots, yeah, it got pushed back for reshots, and I'm surprised they didn't release this year. And it's supposed to be almost like a horror thriller type X Men movie, so it's kind of interesting. Yeah, but then you got the show like The Gifted, which they're apparently is doing really good. It come out another season, and of course you got Legion, which focuses on Xavier's kid. Yeah, Legion. I've only seen a couple episodes, but it was very good. It just fell off of you know the wayside for me schedule wise. Gifted, I can definitely recommend that. Um, if you haven't tried it, it's a great show. Um, it's, cr- it was created and show run by Matt Nix, who did that uh, series called Burn Notice that was on USA mm-hmm. years ago. Um, great show, by the way. Um, ran for a long time, and I really enjoyed the show from start to finish, Burn Notice. Then I heard Matt Nix was coming out with this um, gifted property, and... Uh, it's got a couple of, you know, mid-level name brand recognition mutants in it. Uh, it's got Warpath. It's got Polaris. It's got the, uh, oh, can't remember, the uh, Stepford Cuckles, the Stepford uh, triplets. And it's got a couple of characters that are have a surprise connection to kind of um, 
X-Men lore and a little bit of uh, World War II Marvel lore as well, which if you haven't watched the show, I'm not going to spoil it because it's kind of a fun little twist in there. Um, but it's really well done. It's a world where you find out, like, in very, very early, if not the previous, you know, like, the X-Men have left, is what they say. The X-Men aren't here anymore. You don't know why, but you know from the get-go, in this world of the gifted, the X-Men existed, and the world at large knows about them, especially the mutant community, and that those were their heroes, and the the mutants that are, are still around uh, after the X-Men's unexplained disappearance... Uh, you know they're struggling because the world is against them. Uh, it's a it's a it's a really high quality show. I actually really liked it. I th- I believe the first episode of the new season is available on Hulu now because I've got it on my list. I just haven't gotten a chance to see it yet. Yeah, like for me was you know yeah I watched the whole Marvel. I still got to catch up on the Netflix series because I mean I'm caught up on Daredevil. I got I to gotta watch Jessica Jones season two. I got to watch The Punisher. I got to watch Luke Cage, Iron Fist season two. So I still got a lot of catching up. But um, you know. I'm more of a Marvel guy than DC guy. I mean, the DC guy, DC guy I grew up with was on Batman and Superman, but I was more of a Batman guy. But now I got back, I got into the DC and like um, extended universe and the TV series, like the Arrowverse, they call it, because of Arrow. Oh, yeah. So Arrow's I, great, I came yeah. across it like on Netflix randomly. I'm like, oh, Arrow. I'm like, I'm thinking, I remember heard that name before, The Green Arrow. And people kept making fun of Green Arrow because, oh, he's just a Robin Hood ripoff. But this Green Arrow was really great. I kind of like it because he's dark and green like Batman. But mm-hmm. at the same time, he wants to help people like Superman. So he tries to hide his identity. But at the same time, you know, he's a po- you know he's a, he comes from a rich family. But at the same time, he's trying to help his city. But going like he's a vigilante. But now it expands to on. So now you got the Flash. You got, you know, Supergirl now. You got Legends of Tomorrow, which features, you know, characters that, you know, we're, we're like the supporting cast, mm-hmm. but now you know they're trying to branch on their own right. Then um, of course you got Black Lightning, another character from DC, but that's its own universe, so it's a separate thing. And then you have Gotham, which is on Fox, which I enjoy Gotham because it's like a different version of the origins of Batman and its villains. Yeah, Gotham I never really gotten into. I'd seen an episode or two. I thought it was it was good, but it was one I couldn't fit my schedule into my schedule. Uh, Arrow, I'm not current on anymore. I think I've seen the first three or four seasons. Like The Flash, uh, you know, I The Flash, it. I think I'm current. Yeah, and now they announced Batwoman's going to make her appearance in the Arrowverse. Yes. And, and, of course, for the next crossover event, Superman's going to come in. Even though Superman made a few appearances in the Supergirl show, but he's going to make an appearance in a show, and apparently Lois Lane is going to make an appearance in the TV show now. Too. Yeah, I think they've announced that the crossover... Uh, the Arrowverse The only thing that's not going to feature is the Legends. But what's cool about for Legends, they added Constantine. If yeah. people don't remember, I I enjoyed the Constantine TV show on NBC. I enjoyed it. I remember watching the reruns on uh, the day after air on NBC on Hulu. And I was disappointed they got, they got rid of They canceled the show. I enjoyed it. You know, Matt Ryan did a good job portraying Constantine. Because, mm-hmm. you know, even though I saw the movie with Keanu Reeves, that was okay. But... As soon as I read more of the background, constantly, you know, he's from England, you know, he's British, blonde hair, but the guy who did the, you know, Matt Ryan did a really good job as portraying the character, you know, and it was cool seeing him, like, he started reprising him in, like, the dark, Justice League, Justice League Dark, he did reprise a voice role as the character, mm-hmm. he made a short appearance on Arrow for that one episode, and then, I guess, based on the positive feedback, let's bring him back, so now he's going to be, he made a few appearances last season of Legends Tomorrow, now for this season, he's a regular, he's like a regular character now. Yeah, it'd be interesting because I got to catch up on Legends. Um, yeah. I got through the second season, and Constantine—he's one of those characters. I've ne- he's a type of character I don't tend to care for, and it was like a really '80s, like kind of early '90s character. Um, 
I want to say Constantine is a... Uh, I want to say he's a Neil Gaiman creation, but I, I could be incorrect on that one. Uh, but he was at... He, he's a character that's of a type that I don't ever really care for too much, where it's like an unlikable character that is still the hero. And he's got... You know, all heroes have flaws if they're good characters, but he's one of the ones that, to me, is almost unlikable. Um, I can't even think of another good example right now, but um, there's certain ones, you know, depending if you're, like, a 90s comic fan, like the Authority series, um, where they treated a lot of the people that they were trying to save as, you know, trash. Like, why, you know, why can't you save yourself? It was, like, a real low thing for the common man. And I think at least the comic book Constantine that I had uh, read back in the day, he was extraordinarily self-centered and willing to sacrifice things for his own safety and, and you know, his own ends. And so he's like an anti-hero, and I'm not always able to to latch on to an anti-hero uh, in any format as much as I am, you know, again, like I'm more it's like of a Cyclops, me, yeah, you know, like, fan. It's like with me with Deadpool because I'm, you know... People really. I got into Deadpool way before the movies came out, before Ryan Reynolds portrayed him in that, you know, weird X-Men Origins one. And, you know, so I, I was familiar with the character, you know, because he made an appearance in the 90s cartoon of X-Men for a little bit, and then read about him, too. Like, and I started reading, like, the Daniel Way Deadpool, which is really good. You know, um, he came out in X-Force first before he got spin off. No, he came out in Mutants then he got spin off to his own comic afterwards, mm-hmm. and I enjoyed that. I enjoyed the character. You know, he had a disease, and pretty much he was put into the Weapon Eleven program. Basically, he had the same powers as Wolverine. The only difference is um, he had the healing factor. Promises cancer spread to his body, mm-hmm. and finally, his mind got messed up so many times. It's like he his flashbacks were like his origin. Like, was he really Wade Wilson? Was it a different Wade Wilson? You know, but I kind of like the Daniel Way run because you know. It kind of explains, you know, why he has another personality. And originally, people don't realize this was, was that other personality was Madcap, who was a Captain America villain. Mm-hmm. Pretty much, Madcap. he got into a fight. It was between him, Thor, and Deadpool were going after him. And I guess Thor uses lightning on Madcap, and for some reason, Deadpool got caught in a crossfire. And pretty much, his like Madcap's consciousness got his body pretty much got into Deadpool's mind. And that was like the other voice in the panels. Because every time he read Daniel Way's Deadpool, you keep hearing. Deadpool had, like, one voice in his head, and he had a different voice, and that was Madcap was supposed to be, like, the voice of reason or something. Yeah, and, like, Madcap, like, that's an example of, like, the Marvel Universe comic books. I've never read a comic book with Madcap in it. Yeah, I didn't, like I, I know said. with him because I he was in that volume with the M. And they explained it, like, later on with the Jerry Dugan um, and Brian Pusamon after the Daniel Wade, they, they end up taking over for Deadpool. I got the whole thing and explained why Deadpool had all those voices in his head and all mm-hmm. that stuff. And that was kind of cool where... And now I'm reading the world's greatest Deadpool, and I know now they redid Deadpool again, and because supposedly Deadpool's getting rebooted again, and uh, like so many like the characters, I I love that character, you know. Well, and he's because he's of, not a bad guy. He's a kind of like an anti-hero because he's a merc. He he does anything for money, so he's not a bad guy. But sometimes he does have some sense of moral, I can say. But it's well, all I think like a, a character that's has like a tragedy or a very strong humorous element is easier for me to accept than a character that at its baseline is sort of like if you weren't told he was the hero, you would assume he's the villain from his actions. Yeah. 
And that's where, like, for me, the line draws. And I think Ryan Reynolds does a great job inheriting, oh, yeah. uh, inhabiting that character. Yeah, I can't picture anybody else uh, portraying him besides Ryan Reynolds. <laughs> and so that was a great match. Uh, but yeah, like, the Arrowverse, the, the, I hear great things about the new, uh, season coming up for Arrow itself, so I'm gonna have to catch up on that. Yeah, I And, uh, I think it's Ruby Rose is playing the, the Batgirl. She's playing Batwoman. I don't or know Batwoman, why. Batwoman, thank you. Um, and people are like, why? And they're shaming her. I'm like, why? It's like any casting, people are going to... That's why I hate, you know, social media. Where like, every person that gets cast as a character, they're going to get backlash. Especially mm-hmm. that show Titans. I mean, yeah, I like the Teen Titans, but, you know, I'm not going to pay for the DC Universe streaming service, but people get backlash. It's like, come on. It's like... Well, see, that's it's people don't really. It's a different interpretation. People don't really. There's different universes in the comic universe. Also, have canon, but at the same time, it's different universes. Same thing with Marvel. It's its own separate universe. Mm-hmm. It took the concepts of the characters, but in the real world setting. The the Ruby Rose casting, I think, is great, especially because in the age of like searching for authentic cast authenticity and casting. Yeah, because she she's was, a bisexual woman or or a uh, gay woman and. Batwoman is a gay character. Yes, she is. So it's very true, which I think is great. The Titans one I have more problem with, but I think the Titans, it's because I don't like the aesthetic, and I think they actually made some poor choices. The Starfire character... I just her design, basically, her costume, I will say. Her costume, I think... The Starfire character in the comic books, golden-skinned, you know, long, like, purple-reddish hair... And she has, without argument, a very salacious bikini sex object costume. Before nowadays, nowadays, yeah. they, they kind of changed it up. A little, so, yeah. but not that much. Yeah. And then the you know the TV casting, I think they dress that character in a way that's very stereotypical in a poor way. Mm-hmm. She she it's just it's not a great. Choice. I, I like. I actually don't even care that they went with the African American actress for it. No, I because don't. if you're going to have if if the whole starting point of the character is alien and not Caucasian, then sure it could be like Asian, you know, Native American, whatever. But I think it's just a chosen native uh, African American actress, and then they dress her instead of like a sci-fi way in a way that makes it look like very stereotypically, yeah, clothes and icky. Yeah. Uh, so the Titans property, I'm, I'm not really happy with it. But I'm not a, a DC Zack Snyder esque kind of fan. Anyways. Yeah, like yeah, I didn't see Justice League, and the only thing I saw was Wonder Woman, which I did enjoy. Wonder Woman was pretty good. I did actually finally watch Justice League just to see it. I've seen all of them by now, uh, and I've just gotten to the point where I feel that you know, hopefully DC is now truly going to move away from the. Snyder verse vision. Yeah, because now this whole day's now with you know with Henry Cavill going to take on the Witcher series. Now apparently this whole thing going on right now that is he done with Superman? Because apparently what I read, you know, we got Shazam coming out next year, and they were trying to coax him to make a cameo as mm-hmm. Superman in the in the movie. I guess it just fell through, and now they're saying that they don't know if they're going to do another Superman movie. So it's like uh, you know, same thing with like Batman. Apparently, in the course of Matt Reeves. Batman because we don't know Affleck's coming back because the reports that he's not coming back as Batman or they're going to go with somebody younger to play with. I know John Hammond has been expressingly he wants to step into the the cowl but they haven't said anything yet. I know he's interested uh, in the project and of course you know we got the Joaquin Phoenix Joker movie that's currently filming right now. Uh, it's all a mess. I, 
I don't people know. are going are attacking it right now. Of course, uh, what's his name? Uh, Alec Baum was supposed to play Thomas Wayne, but he dropped out of the project, and they got somebody else doing it. It's. I, I hope that they. I personally hope that uh, Henry Cavall steps away. I like. I think he's a great actor, and I think he did as good a job as he could. I think. Uh, um, you know, for Batman, he. I mean, uh, Affleck, ben Affleck did a good job. I, would say he I think did he did job. a good job as Batman. But he reminded me of he reminded me, he, he remind me of the Frank Miller Batman because the way yeah. his costume. That's why he was trying to portray like the dark, really. I, I think he was a great Bruce Wayne too. Yeah, he was a good. Bruce but I think they just need to stop and not release anything for like a year. Well, of course we got start Aqu- of course we got Aquaman coming out this year too. And I, I mean, I'm not a big. Don't get me wrong, Jason Momoa is he, he's a really good actor in other shows, but. Like, you know, I'm not a big fan. I'm not a big fan of the character. But people who are fans, I think they will enjoy that movie. Wonder Woman because I went to go see it because my mom was a big Wonder Woman fan. She remember seeing the, seeing that series. The mm-hmm. that's the TV series. So I went with her, you know, just to you know take her out, like spend a day with her, and we saw that, and I enjoyed it as well. Because like I said, I was more like Batman and Superman. Growing, I remember seeing the old. Flesher, Superman cartoons, I'm bombing the VHSs, and then I watched those. Those great, yeah. And then, of course, Batman the Animated Series. I remember seeing the, you know, the 60s Batman run on, you know, reruns back in the day. They used to be on, like, on a local channel. Because we still had an antenna at the time. I would catch those on Saturday afternoons. And, you know, bat, like when I say Adam West is my number one Batman. Number two is Kevin Conroy. And, of course, the Joker, Mark Hamill as the Joker. I mean, mm-hmm. honestly, he did a good job. Besides Cesar Romero portraying the live action versus the Joker. But Mark Hamill, you know... Going from being just typecast as Luke Skywalker, breaking out of that character of the Joker, no one expected him to read for that part. And he, he said that, you know, he was surprised he got to read for that part. Mm-hmm. And he was able to bring his own take on the Joker. And, of course, it's popular now. Like, he enjoys it. Like, yeah. he enjoys that role. You know, he's, he's de- definitely done great work with that. And, uh, I mean, I do have a lot of fondness for DC characters from a certain time frame, but just not the Snyder stuff. All right, so since we're running out of time, I mean, I wish we can keep this conversation going. But like I said, it's great having you here on the podcast. Thanks for having me. All right, and guys, if you want to listen to the backlog, make sure to go to podb.com slash pop. Look into the backlog of episodes. Like I said, I'm not sponsored, so my episodes will come out sporadically. Um, that's all the time I have. Like I said, I'd like to thank Armando for joining me here on the couch. And as always, geek on and take care. <laughs>